Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager here at Buckland, and today I'm speaking with my colleague and guest, Sarah Hebert. Sarah is an account manager at Buckland and holds her Certified Custom Specialist designation in Canada as well as the United States. She's also a Certified Trade Compliance Specialist. Sarah has a decade of experience in the industry and has worked with a wide range of importers across industries. Welcome back to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you for joining me once again on the Beyond Borders podcast. Thank you, Jenny. It's so lovely to be here joining you again today. Today, we are going to be discussing NAFTA certificates of origin, and more specifically, the best practices for completing one and more detailed explanations of that NAFTA criterion. We're also going to give you some good tips and tricks, kind of those common mistakes that happen to make you a whiz at completing these. So let's get clear first with what a NAFTA certificate of origin is. Can you explain that? Absolutely. A North American free trade agreement certificate is something that is essential to verify the goods are qualifying for free trade under the rules and regulations of our NAFTA agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Goods that are included on a shipment but do not qualify should not be listed on a NAFTA certificate. The only parties that are qualified to complete a NAFTA certificate are the producer or exporter of the goods. The importer cannot complete this. Just a little background, they can't complete it because if they didn't produce the goods, they may not know if they actually qualify under regulation. So depending on the good, depending on the classification, depending on how it's made, how it's processed, and what parts go into it, is all information that that exporter and producer utilize to determine if it qualifies and then complete the certificate. Okay. A NASA certificate can either be a one-time or a blanket. A one-time certificate is only good for the shipment it is completed for. Well, a blanket NAFTA certificate is good for a specified period of time that's indicated on the paperwork up to a 12-month period. This does not have to be from January 1st to December 31st. It can be any 12-month period. On both types, both the one-time or the blanket, the date field must be completed. So if we're utilizing it for a blanket, we indicate the beginning and the end date that it's good for. If we're utilizing it for a one-time NAFTA certificate, we're just indicating the date of that shipment. Great. Thank you for that, Sarah. That helps us kind of get a good understanding of why why this documentation is required and kind of some of those high-level things to keep in mind as we're doing it. We are also going to be going through a NAFTA certificate step-by-step with information on what to include in each field. And we're also going to get a better understanding of the NAFTA preference criterion, which is the field seven on the NAFTA certificate of origin. And if anybody, if you're, you know, this is 
you know, you're listening to this and it might be easy to also see a NAFTA certificate of origin as we're walking through this. So do visit buckland.com slash learning and you'll want to check out our learning guide that has the same topic as this podcast about completing a NAFTA certificate of origin. And there you will see a lot of the points covered that we're talking about, as well as a example of a North American agreement certificate of origin with all of these different fields so that you can see where these all fit in. So I do recommend that as a companion piece while you're listening, if that's something that you're able to do. Um, so let's get, uh, let's get going on this and talk about these criterion. Okay. So it's important to note, first of all, when we're talking criterion, this is a mandatory field. Mm-hmm. If we're saying that something qualifies for NAFTA according to the rules and regulations laid out, it must qualify under a certain criterion. So there are criterion A to F, okay. and we're going to go through what these mean. Criterion A means that the goods are wholly obtained or grown or raised entirely in one or more of the NAFTA territories. The NAFTA territories being Canada, the United States, or Mexico. Criterion A applies to raw and natural materials. So things such as crops, produce, um, strawberries, animals, if we're importing live animals or meat for animals. Things like minerals that are extracted from the ground. Criterion A almost never applies to industrial goods. Um, It's very, very important to note that because several items can be obtained from the country, it has to be something that is wholly obtained, grown, or raised, not something that is manufactured. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Okay, so let's next up is B. Let's take a look at that. Criterion B is used when the goods are produced entirely in one or more of the NAFTA territories and they meet a specific rule of origin. Use of this criterion indicates that one of the NAFTA rules of origin was met. This can include a tariff shift, regional value content, or a combination of the two. This means the goods were made in the NAFTA territory from potentially non-originating materials as long as the non-originating materials have met a rule of origin change during production. It is important to note criterion B is the most commonly used criterion because as we're manufacturing goods, we are typically manufacturing them from parts um, that we have obtained from all over the place. Maybe we've purchased a part from China and we have started building it into a machine that we're building. And that part, when it becomes part of the machine, has met a rule of origin to shift its tariff classification and country of origin. Okay, good to know. That's helpful. Thank you. So how about C? Criterion C is used when the goods are produced entirely in a NASA territory exclusively from originating materials. So an example of this would be a desk that is made in Canada with all of the components that are utilized to make that desk being wholly obtained or produced in Canada. We're going to talk a little bit about the differences between A, B, and C here for a minute, Jenny, because Mm -hmm. they can be a little confusing. You can look at them and say, oh, I'm not really sure which one. So the difference between criterion B and criterion C is that B is used when the goods are produced in a NAFTA territory partly or completely with non-NAFTA materials 
and the non-NASA materials were transformed during the production process in the NASA territory, meeting a rule of origin. Criterion C is used when the materials used to produce the goods are already originating and each component meets NASA qualification on its own. Mm-hmm. The, difference, the difference between A and C is that criterion A is for goods that were obtained, grown, or raised in a NASA territory, and criterion C is for goods that were produced, made, or manufactured in a NASA territory. Okay. Thanks for making that distinction. That definitely helps to understand the difference there. So thank you. Um, How about D? Criterion D. So this is not a commonly used one. The goods for Criterion D don't meet NAFTA rules of origin on their own. However, they meet NAFTA in their assembled state. So, for example, the goods were imported into a NAFTA territory in an unassembled or disassembled state, but were classified classified according to General Interpretive Rule 2A as an assembled good. An example of this would be a bicycle shipped unassembled where its parts, with its parts not individually meeting a rule of origin under NAFTA, but when they are assembled, it meets the rule of origin and can be considered originating in a NAFTA territory. It is very rare that this criterion is used on the NAFTA. Oh, okay. Good to know. Uh, How about E? E. Criterion E is used for certain automatic data processing goods and their parts that do not originate in one of the NAFTA territories. There is a list of applicable tariff items under Criterion E that is found in Annex 308.1 of the NAFTA agreement. When all three NAFTA territories charge the same rate of duty for any of the goods listed in this annex, goods imported into the into one of the NAFTA territories from any other NAFTA territory are considered originating. Um, In a non-classification term, when the rules and regulations are referring to automatic data processing goods, this is technology. So we think of it as computers or laptops and that type of good. That's what they're referring to here. this is also very rarely used, and I would highly recommend that if you think you're going to use Criterion A or Criterion E, to make absolutely sure that you're checking that annex and it is listed on that list of goods that can be utilized here. Ah, gotcha. Thank you. And the last one is F. Criterion F. Oh, Jenny, this applies to agricultural provisions of NAFTA that were not negotiated trilaterally. Therefore, if we have agricultural goods that Canada and Mexico have an agreement with and it qualifies under here, it would be criterion F. Mm-hmm. If we have goods that the United States and Mexico have an agreement, but they don't have one with Canada. So it's the bilateral agreements that we're including on the free trade agreement between the NAFTA territories because we do not have separate free trade agreements between Canada and Mexico, Canada and the U.S., U.S. and Canada, U.S. and Mexico, we utilize the NAFTA for all of them. Okay. When there's agricultural provisions that um, don't apply to all three, criterion F is used. Okay, great. Thank you. So now that we've gone through those criterion, 
And, uh, and that's great to help kind of deepen that because I know that can be confusing for folks as well. We're going to go through and we're going to go through box by box and explain what to put in each of the fields. So we're going to start with number one, exporter name, address, and email. So this seems pretty straightforward. It, you're going to put exactly what it's asking for. However, a lot of times this isn't filled out completely. So you want to make sure that you are including the full legal name and address of the exporter of goods, um, including their postal code, and an email address where they can be reached should customs want to verify any information with them. Nice. Okay, great. Thank you. And then this one is blanket period. You mentioned blanket period earlier and talked about how there can be the two different types and blanket period is one. Can you explain? Because it says from and to. So the blanket period is actually the date. Okay. So you're going to have the date that the NAFTA free trade agreement is good from and the date that it is good to. If you're using a blanket certificate, it can be up to 12 months. If you are just using it for a single shipment, under the blanket period, you're going to have the same date under from and to. So if you're sending a certificate with a shipment that is shipping on July 21st, your blanket is going to be from July 21st, 2019 to July 21st, 2019. Ah, gotcha. That's helpful. Thank you. Field three here is producer name, address, and email. Very similar to field one. We need to make sure that this is filled out with the full legal name and address where the goods were produced, not necessarily where they're shipping from. It can be two different locations where they were actually produced, as well as an email address where they can be reached. Okay, great. Thank you. And then kind of similarly, importer name, address, and email. Exactly. Um, Very similar. This needs to include the full legal name and address of the importer of the goods and an email where they can be reached. This does differentiate that sometimes the importer is not the same company as the consignee where the goods are being shipped. This must be the importer, the company who is paying the duties and taxes on the goods coming into the country. Okay, great. And then next is number five. It says description of goods. So description of goods, this needs to be a very detailed description of what goods are included on the NAFTA free trade agreement. And it needs to be something that if the customs officer is looking at this, auditing it, that they understand what it is. Sometimes we see them come across where it says 6 by 20 by 102 by 0.4. That doesn't mean anything to the officer. So include that that 6 by 20, et cetera, is actually a 6 by 20 deal sheet. Okay, great. Thank you. Number six is HS tariff classification number. This is very important. Without the HS tariff classification, you can't actually confirm that NAFTA qualifies. There's different NAFTA rules and regulations for each HS tariff classification dependent on if they fall under one rule or if there's specifics called out for that HS. So on the HS tariff classification, we must, include a minimum six digits of the HS classification. Depending on a variety of situations and what the goods are, eight to 10 digits may be required. 
we always recommend putting as much of the tarot classification as possible in that field. Great. Number seven is preference criterion, which, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, we've kind of just walked through this one. So this was the criterion under goods which qualify for NAFTA A through F. So if you've gotten to this point and somehow you didn't hear the beginning, I'd scan back a little bit because we kind of walked through all of these in detail. Um, The next is number eight, the producer. So number eight is the producer. In this field, we're going to put a yes or a no. If it is a no, it must be followed by a one, two, or a three to indicate the knowledge of how we know the goods qualify for NAFTA. So when we say yes or no, we're saying we are the producer or we aren't the producer. If we're not the producer, these are how we know it qualifies. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Next is number nine, and that is net cost. So under the net cost field, we're going to indicate NC or no. If we indicate NC, it indicates that the net cost method has been used to determine the regional value content to qualify. No indicates that the regional value content was not used to qualify the goods for NAFTA. Okay. Number 10 is country of origin. So this is going to be one of four potential things. Under field 10 for country of origin, we're going to indicate the country the goods were made in. This can be CA for Canada, US for the United States, MX for Mexico, or if it qualifies jointly being made between a couple or more NASA territories, we're going to indicate JNT for joint. Okay, great. So on number 11, there are several pieces of information required. This is at the bottom of the page, and there are fields 11A through 11G. Let's go through those. So A is going to be the authorized signature of the individual that is signing the NAFTA, confirming that, yes, these qualify. I'm putting my John Henry on here to say so. Okay. B B is going to be the company. This is the company name who physically completed the NASA certificate. Field C is the name of the person who completed the NASA certificate. D is that person's title. E is going to be the date that the NASA certificate was completed. F for their telephone number. Um, They would like the phone and fax if still applicable. And G is going to be their email. So field 11 is, think of it as you have filled it out and you're putting your information on here to verify, yes, this is correct. This is where you can contact me. This is the company that I'm from. Great. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So, and that's all the fields to complete the NAFTA certificate of origin. Page two of uh, a NAFTA has... Uh, certificate has the instructions, which all government forms come with uh, in order to provide some clarification. I'm sure that uh, in your travels, Sarah, you have seen a lot of common mistakes on NAFTA forms. Are you willing to share some of those common mistakes and kind of how people can avoid errors and uh, and back and forth? With Absolutely. You? One of the most common things we see is we see shipping department. Um, 
having a NASA completed for everything that they're shipping in a particular shipment to their purchaser. So they will just go through their packing list and add everything on there. First of all, we don't know that everything qualifies. You have to make sure you're only including qualifying goods. Second, we see a lot of items come through on NAFTA free trade certificates that are not made in a NAFTA territory. So they'll put, for example, a steel bottle made in China on a NAFTA certificate. That actually makes the NAFTA null and void when you do that. So it's very important that you only include originating items that qualify on a NAFTA certificate. Another common thing that we see is they come through, but they're not signed or they're not dated. Both of those fields need to be completed in order for customs to accept it as a compliant valid NAFTA. So those are a couple of things. We see some other oddities. The biggest tip that I can give everyone is just make sure you're knowledgeable on what actually can go on a NASA, what qualifies the goods that you're importing, the goods that you're exporting and filling it out for. The more you know about them, the better you know about a NAFTA free trade certificate. Um, hopefully with this podcast, you have learned how to complete it. As Jenny said, we really recommend checking out our learning guides on our website at www.bucklin.com. That will help walk you through it. And if you have any questions about completing a NAFTA that come out, you can always reach out to us at csagroup at bucklin.com. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Certainly, if you're having issues, um, you know, you've listened to this and you're still kind of stumped on something, please do reach out at CSA group at buckland.com. We have people here who are able to help you. So thank you, uh, Sarah, so much for going through all of those with us today. I know that that's going to be so helpful to people to really deepen their understanding of how to complete this very very important documentation. And even with everything happening with USMCA, you know, this is still going to be a factor for a while of completing this. And, you know, we don't know Mm -hmm. if this, how this will change with USMCA, but until then, this is the form that we're completing. And realistically, it's probably, I would say, going to be pretty similar. Absolutely. Until the USMCA is ratified within all three territories and regulations are put out with the date of implementation, the NASA is still valid. It is still the paperwork that we're using. Do we know exactly what's going to happen with the USMCA? Not yet. However, most free trade certificates within the world follow a lot of this format. They have to follow who it made it, where it's going, who's the importer, what the goods are, how they qualify. So understanding the basics of that is very key. The regulations may change a little bit as to what um, will be able to qualify, what percentage of goods of originating territories. That we'll have to wait and see as the regulations come out. I cannot stress enough to everyone who's involved in importing and exporting, make sure you follow the news. Make sure you know the regulations. We would like to keep you as updated as possible. Um, But I can't stress enough, if you don't know exactly what you're doing when completing these, stop and ask questions. If they're completed incorrectly and they're utilized incorrectly, it can cause some very serious compliance issues for importers and exporters, including having your rights to utilize a free trade certificate being revoked. Yeah, and we definitely don't want to see that happen for folks. So um, thank you very much for sharing all of this information today with us, Sarah. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And that's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Sarah Heber, for joining us and for sharing a wealth of knowledge about NAFTA certificates of origin. If you're looking for more resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here, you will find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include IncoTerms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also host live monthly webinars, and we invite you to sign up online to secure your spot for an informative presentation, followed by a live Q&A session. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources is through our weekly newsletter, We send out a newsletter every single Wednesday containing our latest resources, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news delivered straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's Contact Us page, through Twitter, where our handle is at BucklandTweets, on our LinkedIn company page, on our Instagram account at BucklandInsta, or of course, as we mentioned, at csagroup at buckland.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.